On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about, well, our favorite kind of program. Yeah, we're going to deal with several questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Pretty interesting ones, I think. That's going to be good. We've got to talk about a church bus. Want to know about that? What about fearing God? What does that mean? Lots of good questions tonight. And can you have a homecoming service? Yeah. Never talked about that before, and we're going to get talking about it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 24th, 2018. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you as well. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome to the program. It's always good to be here. Yeah, okay. look forward to some of your uh, answers tonight uh, to these questions and look forward to hearing from you to answer these questions as well. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room tonight. Sign in there and send in your comments. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, these are wow, some really, really good questions. We always are asking for questions from our listeners, and so if you have one in mind that you'd like to hear discussed, it doesn't even have to be a situation where I, where you say, I don't know the answer to this question. Maybe you do know the answer to the question, but it, you think it's something that would be worth discussing via the virtual Bible study. Send that in. Sometimes we take those questions and we and we construct a whole program around a given question. Sometimes, like tonight, we will put several together that are not necessarily related in theme, but just simply uh, some questions that we just sort of fly through them. And I, I like to call it smorgasbord fashion. All right. We're going in. We're going to have to go fast tonight. Really, really good questions, and I think we'll have lots of discussion on each of them. And so we'll have to move fast tonight. we still got some bumper stickers. If you'd like some bumper stickers, a wide variety. Send us your email or your snail mail address and email, questions at collegeview.com. Help us get that word out there to other listeners. I stopped uh, last week about, uh, well, if I saw our bumper sticker, wanted to know about it. So, Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, and, you can, and if you're not on our update list, get on our update list so you'll be getting the regular updates about what we're doing. Uh, just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, add me to your list. Been getting several requests recently, and so we're glad Good. to get those requests. Good. Uh, earlier today to our update list, we sent out the questions that we want to try to discuss tonight. We're not going to read through them all right up front. We'll just take them one at a time. So let's start out. We had two questions that involved a church bus. We had a question from Alex that simply said, does the church have authority to purchase a church bus? And then Mike had sent in a question on the same theme, but more it was more thorough in his description. He said, if owning a church building is allowed because we're told to meet, can a church also own and operate a van, bus, or multiple similar vehicles to bring people to assemblies? They expedite meeting, and there's just as much silence about a church bus as there is about owning a building. They both are serving the same purpose of allowing us to obey God's desire for us to meet. Okay. Actually, I, I, I actually think, full disclosure, I think Mike... Uh, 
was posing that as a challenge to us because he does not, I think, agree from some of our past programs in our conclusion about owning a church building. And so he was saying, well, if you can own a church building, then you guys would have to be consistent. You would have to say you could have a church bus, too. So sort of full disclosure on Mike's comment there. It was a, a more lengthy email, but uh, I just... Uh, extracted from it this question about a church bus. Okay. I think Mike will be surprised to hear me say, and maybe others as well, is that, yes, I think we can have a church bus. Well, and Mike lays it out there. Mike gives the reasoning behind it when he explains his question there. We can have a church bus for the same reasons we could have a church building or a tent or whatever we wanted to do to facilitate to, to, to that meeting. To expedite a meeting. Now, we're not having a church bus like lots of people have church buses to take the seniors on a shopping trip or, or taking the, the teens to Six Flags. Yeah, there's no authority for that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, would, I think a lot of people would have reservations about uh, whether it's a, a fitting expedient, whether it's a reasonable expedient, whether it makes sense, whether it's good. You know, for instance, every Sunday... When we come together to meet here at College View, there's 75 or 80 cars sitting out there in the parking lot. Most of them came with empty seats. A few of our larger families probably had their minivans completely full, but most of us come with an empty seater. And so there's probably 80-plus available seats out there in the parking lot. Someone could go and pick up someone if they needed a ride. And so... If someone said, we need a church bus to pick people up, I think our answer to most of those situations is, well, we can accommodate that. We don't need a bus. We, we'll get those people here. We got, we got plenty of room in our cars to bring these people here. But if it, was a, if it was deemed to be the best way to do that job, getting people who, who don't have their own means of transportation and being able to get them to the services, if it was judged that that is, in fact, a true expedient, in other words, it, it is the and, and a true expedient is, suggests that it's, it's a reasonable and good way to accomplish an end. Then I believe it would be authorized under the general authority of assembly. Right, and maybe it's in a different different time or different place where cars aren't as prevalent. Maybe you're in a different society where folks need transportation. Certainly, yeah. it would be yeah maybe even a good idea, an advisable idea to have a church bus. Yeah, I think we usually I think that's a good point, Jacob. I think we usually judge such matters based upon what our circumstances. I think in our circumstance right here, and probably for most places uh, in America, it wouldn't be necessary. It would, it would be frivolous, uh, probably a waste of money to have a bus for those purposes. But you can think of some cultures where people, most people don't have their own car, and, and, and maybe it would be a very expedient thing in other places where they don't have some of the same advantages that we have in regards to our cars and our transportation. So the answer to the question is, yeah, it would be authorized under the general authority to assemble. But I think we really want to stress, Jacob, what you said earlier. The problem we have with church buses is they're used for a whole – they are – most church buses are being used for a whole host of things that are not authorized. Right. And as you said, it, it might be something about taking the seniors shopping. It might be something about taking the teens to a, a, a amusement park. Those. Uh, the problem with that is that those activities themselves are not a part of the work of the church. Okay. Is it good to take the, the teens to an amusement park? Well, yeah. You just recently took your kids to an amusement park. Yeah. It's fine. Is good, but that's not the job of the church to do that. And and, and the thing that you'd have to uh, uh, establish before you could get a church bus and use it for those purposes is 
Is the purpose itself authorized? And the answer to those questions is no. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Kyle, if we get one, are you driving it? Uh, well, yeah, oh, sure you're going to drive it. Okay. Kyle right. could drive it. Okay. I'll get him here fast. Maybe not, Kyle. Okay. Uh, but, you know, uh, just taking one more stab at this thing, even in bringing people to the assemblies, church buses are sometimes an abused methodology. I've yeah. known of cases before where uh, they would entice people. They'd go through neighborhoods and entice people to get on the church bus to go to church with, with the enticement being – there's a $20 bill taped under one of the seats, and when we get to the when we get to the church building, we're going to let everybody look under their seat and see if you're the lucky one that's sitting on top of $20. Right. Right. Well, there wouldn't be any justification for that sort of thing either. And so they can be a, they even in just bringing people to church services, they can be an abuse, a lure or an enticement, an abuse. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we want to be careful about that as well. Okay. All right. I appreciate Alex and Mike for posing that question. A very good one tonight. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. If you'd like to comment. All right, the next question comes from our buddy Chris in Atlanta, and he has a, uh, I think I got three questions from him. A, B, and C. Yeah, they didn't all come in the same email, but Chris, I put them together. Uh, a couple of them were together, and I picked up a third one that you'd sent in a good so, long while. He, he sent in one about praise teams. We're going to talk about praise teams here in a minute. He sent that one in months ago, and I have had it in my stack and never got back to it. Okay. So we got several things here from Chris. The first one has to do with... Fearing God. He said, Deuteronomy is filled with warnings to fear God and keep his commandments. When God's word says something one time, it is important. When it repeats itself, I think we need to pay extra attention. What does it mean to fear God? I have heard it taught as just a reverence, and I have heard it taught as literally being afraid of God. I want to start out by commenting about his observation. When something is repeated over and over again, it seems like that ought to be especially important to us. I, I, I think he's right about that. The fact that it's emphasized probably indicates this is something that we as humans need to be reminded about a lot. I don't think, and I don't think Chris thinks, but I don't think it means that violating such an instruction would be a greater sin because it was mentioned more often. I don't think Chris means that either. But I do think the fact that God frequently reminded his people in the Old Testament that they needed to fear him does indicate that's something that we as humans need to be reminded about a lot. Yeah, you think about other things that were reminded of, that the Israelites were reminded about repeatedly, about idolatry and so forth. And you see why, because they forgot. Uh, and uh, so I think maybe the, the tendency is for people to forget things like the need to fear God. Yeah. So what about fearing God? Well, I, I, my first observation would be that fearing God is very important. From the New Testament, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth at the house of Cornelius and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So to be accepted by God, we have to fear him. Right. Now, to Chris's question, what, what is what is? You didn't define thing? what it meant there. Right. You just yeah. showed that it was important, which right. it certainly is. I think he, I think Chris knows the answer to this question and he suggested it really in his question. Sometimes it means to just hold him in awe and respect. Uh, Psalm 89 verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. So he uses both words there in that verse, Psalm 89 verse 7. 
He's to be feared. He's to be held in reverence. Mm-hmm. So definitely that's one of the forms of fear. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So uh, I, I do think that definitely just to hold him in high respect is a part of fearing God. Can you imagine if uh, the three of us are sitting here tonight and we've got our audience listening to the virtual Bible study and just out of the blue through the door walks President Trump? I, we, we, we would be awestruck. We would, uh, and certainly a, a man in high position like that deserves the respect of those who might be around him. I'll tell you, though, that, that shouldn't even hold a candle to how we feel toward God, to fear God, to hold him in high respect. Now, uh, the Bible also suggests that the fear of God involves being afraid, uh, that we should be afraid of what happens uh, when we don't do what God says we ought to be doing. I'll take you back to that verse I just read, Hebrews twelve twenty-eight, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, uh, our God is, the very next verse says, our God, for our God is a consuming fire. So, so we're to, we're to serve him with, except with reverence and godly fear. And then the very next statement is, for our God is a consuming fire. What do you think that's there for? Yeah. I think that's there for, be afraid. Yeah. Be afraid of what happens if you don't serve him. Certainly. All right. Um, and I got a reference to an Old Testament example. There was an episode uh, where uh, King Saul, in his early days, when he was still being a very good king, when he was calling all of the Israelites together to go to fight against an enemy, it says, Saul took a yoke of oxen, hewed them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel... So shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. What do you think that fear was? That was yep. being afraid. Yeah. Being afraid of what would happen if they didn't come as they were being called. And then one more, Psalm 119, verse 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. And so there, again, is the idea of, of being afraid. So I think you put that all together, as Chris even suggested in his question, both aspects come together when we talk about fearing God. We hold him in awe and respect. We are afraid of God if we violate his will because he has demonstrated throughout all of time that he judges those who do not obey him. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think over time we we lose some of that fear and reverence to God. We need to be reminded of it. Um, I'm reminded of uh, when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai when God came down to speak with Moses. You remember that? I mean, they, the, the Israelites were just in terrible fear because of the, they were in the presence of God. Uh, in verse 16 of Exodus 19, uh, as God is coming down on the mountain, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and light, uh, lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the, pe- the people that was in the camp trembled. Uh, the whole the mountain is shaking, 
there's smoke uh, and uh, and this trumpet sounding. It's it's a fearful thing. And remember, they, they tell were terrified. they tell Moses, "You go talk to God. We, we want, can't. We, we don't can't. want to be. We don't see that anymore." Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the God we're dealing with. We need to have reverence of, of him. And that fear of God, reverencing him, but also being afraid of him, should lead us to be obedient. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So that fear of God ought to lead us to be obedient. Uh, there, there, there should be a reaction. If we fear God, it should be demonstrated in our lives. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at CodlessView.com. Time for a break. And when we get back, we'll continue questions from Chris and take your comments, hopefully, at 877-381-4567. To go anywhere, the Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any definite plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Resentment and vengeance are two ingredients for a miserable life. A happy person is a giver, a forgiver, and a thanksgiver. Discontent is the penalty we must pay for being ungrateful for what we have. One of the weaknesses of our age is an apparent inability to distinguish between need and greed. It is wise to direct your anger toward problems, not people. To focus your energies on answers, not excuses. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. We're talking about listener questions tonight. And as you can tell, lots of good questions. And we want your questions for another program like this. Uh, send them to questions at collegeview.com at any time uh, so we can include them in a future program. And we'd like your comments on these questions right now in the chat room or over the phone. Chris asked, what does it mean to fear God? And he's got some other questions. He also asked, what does it mean to be meek? He says in Numbers 12.3, Moses was described as a meek man, meeker than all that were on the earth. This is a quality that God truly uh, desires. What does it mean to be meek? And what does it take to reach that level of meekness? All right. Uh, God not only desires it, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus expects us to be meek. Jesus said that he himself was. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And, and another place in the New Testament, it's, it's encouraged... Uh, uh, women in particular mentioned First Peter yep. three verse four. Let it be adorn themselves with the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 
So it clearly is a desirable attribute. God wants it. He wants us to have it. Um, this is a word, and I, I'm sure most of our listeners uh, understand this already, that it's a word that has lost its sense of meaning in modern-day usage. T- today, the idea of meekness is somebody who won't stand up to anybody about anything, who just sort of very mealy-mouthed and, and uh, uh, timid and, re- and uh, almost uh, uh, painfully shy. You know, that's that's the idea of someone who is meek by modern usage. But contrast that with Moses. Chris mentioned Moses. And so picture Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. He's just been with God on Mount Sinai. And he comes down, he finds the people dancing and cavorting, or cavorting around the golden calf. Mm-hmm. He's got in his hands tables of stone that have been etched with God's own finger. Mm-hmm. And in his rage at their sin he throws them down and breaks them uh, it's always been interesting I mean, god didn't rebuke him for doing that yeah which is, it seemed like that was an appropriate response to what the people were doing he didn't stop there though you remember yeah. he ground up the, the calf and, and made him drink it yeah and yet he was meek above all men on the earth he certainly wasn't this timid uh, painfully shy individual and so that's not what the meaning of, of meekness in the Bible is. And I think we very typically suggest that meekness means strength under control. And so it's a, a strength, a courage of character, uh, and, and you've got yourself self-disciplined. You, you, you control it. Uh, Moses is a good example. Jesus is the ultimate example. He was meek and lowly in heart. He said about himself, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus was meek, but he certainly wasn't timid. He was ultimately in control of himself, and his responses to all situations were exactly what they should have been. So I think that's what we see about meekness. All right. uh, strength under control, I think, is the, is the, is the right definition. How, but Chris goes on to say, how do we get that? Well, obviously, that's something that we work at. It's, a, it's not a, I've got it. Or I don't. It's not on or off, black or white. This is this is an attribute or characteristic that all of us as Christians need to keep working at. We get stronger, and through our strength, we're able to discipline and control ourselves uh, more and more to be the kind of people God wants us to be. And, and uh, this is a this is controlling our emotions, which is perhaps one of the more difficult things to control. Yeah, exactly right. Um, because a lot of times we get in those situations. Can you imagine the adrenaline that was running through Moses at that, that time uh, that he came down and saw all that foolishness going on? Yeah. Uh, he would have been ready just to haul off and let somebody have something, but he, uh, he controlled it, well, he, himself. He had a very strong reaction to what was done, but it was... It, it was, was controlled. Un, it was measured and controlled, and that's, yeah. that's, that's the key there, I think. Yeah. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com if you'd like to chime in on these important questions tonight. All right. Uh, we got time for the last we one. Do. The last of three from Chris was our praise team scriptural. And, Chris, I think you sent that in last year sometime. And I last had it way year. down in my stack, and I found it today. Uh, and, and he actually had a link for, at that time, uh, a church that was having a praise team. Now, I think... First of all, we've got to define what we mean by praise teams. And I think it's used variously in the religious connotation. Sometimes I think are, are, uh, 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 they amount to a 
special musical performance. It, it's it's not the it's not the same thing as a choir or a quartet performing before a church in the old fashioned sort of way. We we would object to that. We would object to choirs or or soloists or quartets singing before the assembled audience of the congregation. We'll talk about that in a minute, why we would object to that. I think praise teams sometimes are that way. They're performance groups. And the others sit back and listen to them perform. And then maybe praise them, not yeah. God, at the and, end of it. Uh, and, and the reason why we object to all that sort of thing, which I, I think a fitting description of that is what we might refer to as special music in the church. Uh, we're, we're not even touching on the question of instrumental music. Most all of those would have instrumental accompaniment. That's a whole that's a whole thing in itself. And we've talked about instrumental music a lot. But what if it was just a what if it was a soloist singing a cappella? What if it was a choir singing a cappella? What if this praise team was singing without instrumental accompaniment? I don't think typically they do, but let's say that they did. What's the problem with any of those sorts of things? Well, Paul says in Colossians 3.16, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The problem with special music is that it's not reciprocal. The soloist may be teaching and admonishing us, but we're not teaching and admonishing him or her. The the quartet, they may be teaching us something with the song they sing, but we're not teaching them. The choir, similarly, they may be uh, moving us, trying to motivate us to, to, to be more spiritually minded, but we're not doing anything for them. We're just listening. And the singing that is to be done when we come together in our assemblies is teaching and admonishing one another. There's yeah. a reciprocal nature to it. And, and if you have special singing groups, that reciprocal nature of the of the matter is lost. Yes, right. Uh, 877-381-4567. So, yeah, so the command is to teach one another. And so if this praise thing, praise team thing is a one-way street, we're not following that instruction. I think that's right. Okay. Now, uh, I think the other thing with praise teams... Now, so, so so maybe they say about the praise, the praise team are basically just song leaders. So there's there's four or five of them up there, but everybody's singing. Would it be okay if the praise team is up there and they got the lights on them? And again, I'm not even going to talk about instrumental music because I think almost all those that I've ever seen any reference to are always playing musical instruments. But let's say they're not. Uh could you have, I guess maybe the question would be, could you have more than one song leader at the front at a given time? Yeah, that's the thing. What we're seeing a lot uh, is that you've got maybe five or six people up there, yeah. men and well, women often. Yeah, but let's say they're all men. Let's don't let's okay. don't go to the woman. Okay. Uh, let's don't let's don't let's don't bring in the question of women's roles. And you got five guys up there in a praise team. Uh, are you saying you that? that the scriptures mandate that you can only have one song leader at a time. I'm not necessarily saying that. I don't know why we would need more than one, but let's say that the arrangement of our uh, uh, assembly room is such that the people are sitting over here. Can't see the guy who's, 
standing in the middle, and the people who are sitting over there can't see very well the guy standing in the middle. So we got two song leaders, and they're basically leading the congregation, and all of us are singing the same. I, would you object to that? I don't think I would object to that. Yeah. I'd question. I'd make sure the motive was right, motivation was right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, having more than one person stand in front of the audience, looking at the audience while everyone sings, uh, isn't a violation of scripture. Exactly. Now, the other thing that we're going again, we're not talking. We, we're, we're we're purposely not diving into the instrumental music question. You know our position on that. We're not diving into the role of women question. You know our position on that. But in reality, both of those would be factors in this praise team question. But I tell you, the 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 uh, the, the a big thing would be decently and in order. In First Corinthians chapter fourteen, when Paul was talking about the Corinthians, and they had some problem with this in their assemblies, they weren't being very careful to be decent and orderly. Uh, he, he said in First Corinthians fourteen verse forty, "Let all things be done decently and in order." And the context of that statement is what they were doing when they came together in their assemblies. And I'll tell you, the praise teams that I've seen videos of, I've never been in an assembly where there was a praise team. I acknowledge that, but I've seen videos of them. Those guys out there jumping and shouting and carrying around and gyrating, and it seems to be seems to me to be very much not decent and in order. Okay. All right. So several things to consider there. Appreciate uh, that question, Chris. And, uh, well, sorry you had to wait a year for the answer. <laughs> Hopefully you found your answer somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. In the chat room tonight, we're going to take a break, get this week's bullet point, and get your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of David McPherson. Sometimes people attempt to justify their sinful conduct on the basis of saying, well, everyone else is doing it. If everyone else is dressing immodestly, what are we going to do? If everyone else is going to a must-see R-rated movie, what are we going to do? If everyone else is lying, stealing, or cheating, what are we going to do? In the days of King Nebuchadnezzar, quote, everyone else was bowing down and worshiping his golden image. Read Daniel 3, beginning verse 1. But what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They said, quote, let it be known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Daniel 3, verse 18. These men loved the Lord and courageously served him regardless of what everyone else was doing. May we too have the courage to be different. Brethren, quote, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, verse 2. God's children are not to follow in the sins of others, but are to lead out of darkness and into light. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name is Preston Austin, Georgia, and I want to hear your comments. So if you have one, call 931-381-4567 or email your questions at questions at com. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Hey, we're back on the program tonight talking about various listener questions, and we're reminding you again, send your questions in at any time. that You may have uh, a question of it. We'll try not to let it sit around for a year, but uh, we'll get to it as soon as we can, and uh, we'll hopefully uh, have a good discussion on the program. So send in your questions at any time. Look forward to hearing from you. If you've not been to our website, uh, check it out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you've never visited with us and you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, 
Come and visit with us anytime. We'd love to Just recently to meet we had you. a guy right here in Columbia yeah. who, who said, I've been listening to the first place, so I wanted to come and see uh, see you at College View. We were so glad he came, and, and we'd love If you're listening and you're within an easy drive here in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and visit us. All right. Okay, next questions from Nikki tonight. Yeah, we're going to go a little bit out of order of what I sent in my email because this, this there's some chat going on in the chat room from about a question that Nikki asked. She said simply, is it right for congregations to have homecomings and pastor appreciation homecomings. And then, Jacob, I think in the chat room, she gave a little uh, explanation. She followed up in the chat room and said, I wanted to explain more uh, to my question about homecomings and pastor appreciation days. I know that the denominational churches have these type of events, but what about the Church of Christ? Also, is it authorized by God that congregations can buy the pastor gifts for his anniversary? Thank you, uh, Nikki, for the good questions tonight. Yeah, and Jeff has been corresponding in the chat room, responding to that. Uh, and uh, and the first thing uh, he addressed is the idea of a pastor. And I think Nikki, Nikki's uh, question implies a single pastor over a congregation. Uh, or and, maybe and uses the term pastor synonymously with what a, would be maybe, a preacher. Maybe a preacher, but, yeah. but we understand, and Jeff is pointing that out in his response in the chat room, that the pastor is generally... Uh, in in the Bible, a pastor is not typically the preacher. A preacher could be a pastor, but the word pastor is used synonymously with an elder, an overseer, a, a bishop uh, over a local church. Uh, and there's always a plurality of elders in a local church. So when you think of words that are synonymous with that, pastor, shepherd, presbyter or elder, bishop or overseer, and uh, we've talked before. We want to talk again in the near future about the the organization and the proper work of local congregations. But in local congregations, there's always a plurality of elders, and so. But the but the denominational world has sort of messed up the usage of the word pastor. Ephesians chapter four verse eleven shows that those are not synonymous. Uh, the, the pastor and a preacher are not the same. Uh, Ephesians four eleven. He gave some apostles, some prophets some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And yeah. so a pastor is not, by default, the same thing as an evangelist. A pa- an evangelist could be a pastor. In, in, in but... 1 Peter 5, Peter, who obviously was a preacher, said he was also an elder. So a, a preacher could be an elder along with other men because elders are always mentioned in the plurality in the New Testament. So, so an elder could be a pastor along with others, and oftentimes we, we see that that does happen. But... But in regard, let's let's just say that we're talking about the preacher per se. We're gonna we're gonna let the 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 word be used as the denominational word world often uses it, and no. and talks about the preacher as the pastor. Now, are you gonna recuse yourself from this question because she wants to know about buying the preacher gifts on his anniversary? Are you? Uh, uh, is there a conflict think, of inter- interest? I think there's a, well, just let me comment real quick. I think it's a wonderful idea. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, in regards to things given to the preacher, the only thing that the Scripture authorizes us to do is to provide uh, uh, wages. compensation, wages uh, for the work that he does. Paul said to the Corinthians uh, in First Corinthians chapter. Where am I looking here? Maybe I maybe I don't maybe I don't want First Corinthians. Uh, Paul said he robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do service for the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8. There it is. There it is right there, yeah. 
He says, First Corinthians 11, 8, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. So when Paul was at Corinth, other churches were supporting him, but he, he called what he was receiving from them wages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's the concept. The only thing we're authorized to do is give wages. Uh, I, I don't think we'd be authorized to give special uh Gifts that could be, you know, I mean, we can give you can give anybody a gift individually that you care to give a gift to, but I don't think uh, as, as a congregation, I don't, I don't think that uh, um, we would say there's authority, maybe even for the church from the treasury to give special gifts to the preacher. Uh, Galatians chapter six verse six, let him that ta- is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things, and so. Yeah, maybe there is some authority there for someone on the individual on the individual level. That's yeah. Ephesians six is talking to the individual. So yeah, so yeah, I appreciate uh, what the preacher's done, the sacrifices he's made, and uh, you know the garden's doing pretty good this year. I'd like to take him a basket of produce to show that I appreciate it. Yeah, Paul said in First Corinthians nine verse fourteen, "The Lord hath ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel." And so there, there's the concept of paying the preacher uh, for the work that he does. But in, in regards to authority for the church from the collective treasury to give special gifts beyond the wages he receives for the work that he does, uh, I don't think there's any authority for that. Uh, typically, companies don't – I suppose some do. I, I was going to say typically companies don't give special gifts to their employees, but sometimes they do. They do, yeah. But uh, – in, in, in this sense, I think we're talking about congregational authority. I think it would be limited. Okay. Now, what about homecomings? That watch, you, we got an order, Kyle. we got to get, we got to cancel that order. <laughs> that anniversary watch. All right. Too, too bad. All right. Kyle's working for a new outfit now. He's a long way from getting any gifts. Okay. It'll, it'll be years before he gets any okay. gifts where he's working All right. out. Um, All right. What about the idea of homecomings, Jacob? Yeah, well, I again asked. I think Jeff from Livingston answered the question. There's not any biblical authority for the events mentioned, uh, so um, I think Jeff hits on an idea here that what would be the authority for having a special service along those lines? Well, again, it somewhat goes to definition. Uh, so let's say that we had a preacher. And he preached in, a, in a, a given congregation for 20 years. He moved on to other fields of endeavor. But the church just really uh, had an appreciation for him and for, the, for his preaching. And they wanted him to come back and maybe hold a week-long gospel meeting. And it's sort of a homecoming that he would come back to where he'd been for so long and hold a meeting in that place and preach the gospel again. That's true. That, well, there wouldn't be anything wrong with Paul that. Paul did things like that. He went back to, to the same churches. Where and strengthened them, yeah. yeah. That's, so, a, that's a good so point. So that's what you're calling a homecoming. I wouldn't have any objection to that at all. But typically, and I think Nikki's pro- question probably implies this, when, they, when, when churches have these homecomings, it's usually, and there may be some preaching involved in it, but typically there's a lot of social, church-organized social events connected with it. And... In that sense, I, we would just have to say, again, there's no authority for the church to be involved in social and recreational uh, right. programs right. for the members. Okay. 
877-381-4567. So I think that would I think that would probably be our our answer to that question. But it's a great question, Nikki, and we understand that yeah, uh, uh, you've been listening regularly, and I, I think maybe Nikki has got one of our bumper stickers. Uh, oh, so good. we appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Nikki, for helping spread the word. If you'd like one, questions at collegeview.com with your snail mail address, and it'll be coming your way. Right. All right, let's get a break, and when we go to the top of the hour, we've got two more questions. One from Ramona. Ramona, being born of water and the Spirit, what does that mean? Can you feel it? Do you need to be born by both the water and the Spirit? How do you do that? And then Dwight, he wants to know about visiting a church that I know is not right because I, well, can't find anything else. one around. What do you think about that? Good questions, and we'll get your answers on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. About a quarter of U.S. adults, 27%, now say they think of themselves as spiritual but not religious, up 8 percentage points in just five years, according to a recent survey. These people have low levels of religious observance, saying they seldom or never attend religious services, 49% compared with 33% of the general public, and that religion is not too or not at all important in their lives, 44% versus 25% of all U.S. adults. That information is via the Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 21, When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. All right, we're back on the program. We've got two more questions to go, and they are certainly good questions. And so we want to hear from you as we talk about, first off, Ramona's question. Ramona's in Texas. She's a regular listener. She, she writes in about John 3, verse 5. We know that in John chapter 3, this was the occasion when Nicodemus, who was a ruler among the Jews, he came to Jesus by night and had some questions for him. It's always been understood that Nicodemus was sincerely interested in Jesus but was maybe fearful that his counterparts among the Jewish leadership would not take kindly to him openly uh, corresponding or conversing with Jesus. And so it says he came to him by night. Other places refer to that, I think, with a clear implication that there was maybe he was a little bit afraid to be seen talking to Jesus. But anyway, he asked him, uh, uh, well, let's just read that. John 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, excuse me, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be 
born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So her question is about being born of water and the Spirit. Um, and she specifically has a question about being born of the Spirit. Okay. But I think it'd be a mistake to answer the question without dealing with both water and the Spirit. Uh, the water has to be the water of baptism. It just yeah. has to be. And and the people who want to avoid the necessity of uh, water baptism for the remission of sins just have a real problem with this. It gives them all kinds of heartburn, doesn't it? it? Yeah. And Uh, they do a lot of uh, scriptural gymnastics here to try and get around it. A a, a typical answer is they say, well, that's talking about the water of childbirth. That when you were born as a baby, there was the amniotic fluid, and that's the water. You've got to be born of that water and then later be born of the Spirit to enter the... Well, Jesus actually debunks that possibility right in the text when when Nicodemus says, "You mean you got to go? You got to be in your mother's womb?" And Jesus effectively says, "This doesn't have anything to do with natural childbirth. This is we're not talking about natural childbirth here. We're not be, talking about being born of you. That's not under consideration when he, when he speaks of born of water and the Spirit." Um, and does anybody refer to their natural birth as being born of water? I mean, that, certainly there's water involved, but that doesn't. Uh, that's not how you would refer to your natural birth. Yeah. Born of your mother, maybe, but not born of water. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the water there, I think, has to be the water of baptism. Well, how does the Spirit come into that? Well, it is the Spirit that teaches us the plan of God for our salvation, including baptism in water for the remission of sins. So I think... The spirit part of that is we're instructed by the spirit's revelation and we comply with the conditions that God has given. I think that's the, the spirit's role in that process. Certainly. A couple of passages that are good parallels that use similar construction. Uh, Matthew, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, as Christ is, uh, gave himself for the church, verse 25, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water, by the word. And so you've got both mentioned there. You've got water and the product of the spirit, the word, uh, involved in our salvation, our cleansing. Exactly right. That's Ephesians 5, 26. 26. Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. So there they're linked again in that passage. In First uh, Peter uh, 1, verse 23 being born again. Oh, interesting. There's that same expression. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we're born again by the word of God. We're born again by the Spirit. You see, the Spirit produced the word. And so born again by the word of God, being born again by the Spirit. That's the Spirit's part in that new birth, is that he provided the the teaching and instruction so that we would know what we should do in order to be saved. So we're born of water, and the only uh, only way we would know how to do that or or to respond to God is through the work of the Spirit. And I think Ramona's question helps to answer the question when she asks, how is it done? If we're to be born of the Spirit, and that's something that's mystical or... And she also asks, do you feel it? Yeah. 
Well, so if that is the case, how there's no instructions on to me if to on how to be born of the Spirit here if it's something is separate from baptism. How do how do I how do I go about this being born of the Spirit? Yeah, and and what should how would I feel it? Would I know it? The Scripture gives no information about that at all. Yeah. And so I, I really think that a really good connection there is that First Peter one twenty three because it talks about being born again by the Word of God. Yeah, born again by the Spirit. Those things that's, that that means the same thing. It has to do with the Spirit's work in revealing God's Word. It's interesting to me that God never has placed our soul's salvation contingent upon receiving a certain feeling. Right. You know. You got to get this feeling before you know you're saved. No, that's nowhere in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, now, religious people through the centuries have have wandered off into that forest and gotten lost. What feeling am I supposed to get? I, I, I you know, everybody, all religious groups want to relate their feelings. One time, I was studying with some Mormons, and they wanted me to believe that the Book of Mormon and the other writings of of uh, Joseph Smith were from God. I said, well, how would I know that? Uh, I said, is there any evidence? Well, I said, what you need to do is just pray about it. And if you pray about it, God will answer that prayer, and, and you'll get, you'll get a, a warm feeling in your heart, and you'll know that, that this is true. I said, well, what's that feeling like? Oh, you'll, you'll just know when you get it. I said, is it like when I go and eat too many tacos at Taco Bell? Oh, no, no, no. They said, it's not like that. But they, they just said, you'll just know. It is a feeling. You'll know it when you get it. Uh, we even have an expression sometimes we talk about better felt than told. I can't describe it. You just have to feel it to know that that's nowhere in the Bible. Yeah, I, I in fact, today on the radio, I heard a woman telling about this. She was in the Catholic Church and I don't know, they were praying the rosary or doing something. And she said, this feeling came over me. And she said, you know what it was like? It felt like someone was pouring water into me and it, it started at my feet and worked its way up. And she said, and I ascribe that to be the Holy Spirit. Well, now that's completely subjective, right? Yeah. Because nowhere in the Bible do, I t- do we read that when you when you receive the Spirit, it's going to feel like somebody's pouring water in you and it fills up from your feet first and, go, and yeah. goes on. She just made that. She had a feeling. No doubt, no doubt she had some type of feeling, but she equated that with the Holy Spirit just out of a subjective Exactly. Uh, determination on her part. Exactly right. I I heard a story once of a woman who was said uh, uh, that she had a feeling based upon her feelings she was claiming salvation, and so the preacher asked her, "What was the feeling you had?" She said she was just so sure she was saved based upon a feeling. He said, "What was the feeling you had?" He, she said, "Well, she said I felt light as a feather." She said, "I felt like I was just floating in the air," and he said, "Well, now think about that for a minute. Were you really as light as a feather?" Well, no, she said, obviously not. He said, were you actually floating in the air? Well, no, she said. He said, well, now, you felt that way, but it wasn't real. You had a feeling, but it wasn't real. How do you know your salvation is real if you're based upon feelings that weren't real? That's That's the whole problem with some subjective feeling. But, again, tying this back to Ramona's question, is, is being born of the Spirit something you feel no the scriptures never describe a feeling that connects with producing salvation now it talks about feelings that we get after we we, we, it describes rejoicing the ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing in acts chapter 8 at the end of the chapter the philippian jailer was rejoicing with all his house 
when he learned the truth and obeyed the gospel. So there's certainly feelings that come from obedience, but our obedience produces those feelings. Our the feelings don't produce our salvation. Again, Jesus said, "Unless except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." And so, if it is a feeling, you've got to be born of the Spirit, and you that's going to be know. some type of feeling. You've got to know. And how yeah. do I know? Yeah, because I could be misled. Uh, and uh, and what is that feeling supposed to be? How, I, I need some type of I need some type of validation to, to know that that oh that was it. Yeah. And now I'm saved. And I just can't get it if it's some subjective feeling. Exactly right. All right. So I hope that helps uh, with your question, Ramona. I think it's a great question. Uh, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in the religious world uh, on that very subject, but it's certainly worth discussing. We appreciate you your question, Ramona. Thank you regularly and sending in that question. And we've got one more. We just we may have just a little extra time tonight, Ooh, Jacob. Well, I have a bonus uh, question if someone uh, could send it in the chat room. I got we got a question from Dwight who says, is it right for people to visit a church that they know is not right because it's the only one around? Mm. So maybe you've been in this kind of circumstance, maybe when you're traveling or something, you're trying to find a place to worship. You know, on Sunday, I'm going to be at this place. On Sunday morning, I'm going to be at this place on Sunday night. I'm trying to find a congregation uh, where I can be there and worship with the saints. Maybe I'm traveling on Wednesday and I want to... uh, be with uh, Christians on Wednesday night for a period of Bible study, but I can't find I, I can't I don't know I don't know which church to go to. And I, well, first of all, you can't know any congregation perfectly from from information that you might find in in an advertisement or a, a web page on on the World Wide Web. Uh, do I have to know that this my first response would do am I responsible to know that this particular congregation is is perfect in all respects before I visit their assemblies? I think the answer is that's no because that would place an impossible requirement upon us to do that impossible for a couple of reasons because number one you wouldn't be able to know and secondly you couldn't find a perfect that's church right that's so right. you can be something wrong with yeah, them all yeah so uh I think that has to factor into the question. Now, beyond that, so uh, here's a congregation, and I'm pretty sure maybe that there may be some issues there that I would not agree with. For instance, let's say I see a, a pavilion in the back of the church with picnic tables, which may suggest, probably certainly does suggest, that that church uh, has some element of church involvement in in providing for social recreational activities of the members, which I would not agree with. My attending the worship services, though, would not necessarily put me involved in that activity. In other words, I might be able to to be there and worship. And I would not be participating in anything wrong that they were doing. That would, but on the other, now contrast that scenario with I walk into this meeting place and they've got a, an organ and it's blaring away, instrumental music and worship. I can't worship there because I can't worship. If I did worship there, I would be directly participating with something that I think is unscriptural. So I think that factors into the question. So, uh, to Dwight's question, I would I would approach it with at least these first three points. First of all, it's impossible to know perfectly. Secondly, 
I may be able to go to a certain place. Um, and as long as I am not in participating or encouraging or, or, or being a part of something that's wrong, that might be okay. But if I know that being there is going to directly involve me in unscriptural practices, I wouldn't go. Yes. Any thoughts on that? Well, Revelation, uh, the letters uh, to the churches of Asia give us some insight into this, a couple of them. One of the churches, uh, the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, was a dead church. Uh, They had a name that they lived, but they were dead. And uh, Jesus uh, tells them, you know, condemns him very harshly. But he goes on and says, verse 4 of Revelation 3, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So even in that dead church in Sardis, there were there were members who had not defiled their garments. I think that gets back to your point about they, their association with the church at Sardis wasn't such that it caused them to defile their garments. They, so they, they, were, they, weren't, they weren't participating in what wrong was being done. But they were still part of a group that was very much condemned. Yeah. And by implication, isn't going to walk with Christ because they weren't worthy. Yeah. And then earlier in chapter 2 of the church at Thyatira, remember they had the woman there, uh, that woman Jezebel, who teaches... Uh, calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, there's a bad church. And he, in verse 24, says, But unto you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put no, uh, no other burden upon them. Yeah. So there were some even there where that church was had Jezebel in it. So... so it has to go with uh, your association. Very, a, a very big part of that then says, whatever I do in relationship to that group. Now, the, uh, J- uh, Dwight's question has to do with, you know, visiting a church. And typically that would happen when we're traveling or something. If I, if, if I know that my being there is going to force me to participate in something I think is not right, for instance, like singing with instrumental music, then I'm not, I can't go there. But if I can go there... And my my being there does not force me into participation in sinful activities. Then that's a different scenario. So, a lot of judgment there. I, I, a, a lot, lot of judgment. Of judgment. Yeah. Okay. And you gotta you gotta be true to your conscience in all such matters for sure. Okay. Good question, Dwight. Hopefully that's helpful. All right. Uh, well, it was quiet in the chat room tonight and quiet on email, but we certainly had some very good questions from our listeners. Yeah, and we want to encourage more of those. If you've got questions that you think would make a worthy discussion on the virtual Bible study, what, uh, whether it would be a very thorough question that would need lots of time, maybe a whole program to develop, or whether it's something we can put into one of our smorgasbord editions, uh, let us know. And it was quiet from Kyle tonight. Kyle, Kyle, you've been quiet over there. Yeah, we He's still uh, dreaming about driving the church bus. That's it. That's yeah. it. Never going to happen, I guess. All right. All right. I don't think so. Okay. All right. So Kyle, thanks for being here. It's always good to be here. And, Dad, thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening, and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word on the program tonight. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
Lakeview Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.